Section 98 of Canada, South America, Central America, Mexico, and the West Indies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Amy Zunis. The World's Story, Volume 11, Canada, South America, Mexico, and the West Indies. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 98. Happy Little Costa Rica, 20th Century, by Frederick Palmer. A Frenchman, Le Ferrier, writing of this little-known region 30 years ago in De Paris a Guatemala, says, The Costa Ricans dislike wasting their resources in wars or war material, preferring the arts of peace and to welcome those bringing wealth from other countries. The policy and character of the old social order remain unchanged. Still talking of union, Costa Rica's instinct is as naturally for isolation as that of Switzerland. She has never been an aggressor against her neighbors. But if Central America is assailed, her response is immediate as a measure of self-protection. Without her assistance, William Walker, the filibuster, would not have been beaten in Nicaragua. Her little army administered the decisive defeat to his forces and then marched back from those unpleasant lowlands to its own pleasant highlands. Neighboring dictators have learned a wholesome respect for the men who have the qualities of the farmer and the planter, which the Boers exemplified. At a signal of danger, they will, as Don Carlos Peralta said, come riding in from all directions, rifle in hand, confident of their ability to defeat any tatterdemalion lot of conscripts from the other republics. They have suffered presidents who grew autocratic and who won office by chicanery and ballot box stuffing. But every president has a check. He knows that he may look out of the window one morning to see men on horseback streaming into town, so public opinion exists and has an effect. Clannishness makes the Costa Ricans love company. Their fraternal feeling, which is the growth of time, leads to the greeting of brother as men pass, and other Central Americans have nicknamed them the brotherly people. While outlying regions wait on development, the population centers around San Jose the New and Cartago the Old Capital. San Jose is one-third the size of Guatemala City, and its first distinction to the approaching visitor is an electric car line when he has seen none since leaving the city of Mexico. The streets are scrupulously clean and well-paved. Sanitation is the hobby of the president, Gonzalez Fiques, whom the weekly life, for San Jose included in its free press a humorous weekly, always pictures with a mosquito on the top of his bald head and one of the local newspapers is of the opinion that he is otherwise the head of a perfectly incapable administration and tells him so daily. No city of its size at home, and none is, of course, a capital, has so many attractive shops. That rich coffee land is prodigal, creating an extravagant people. If this year's crop is bad, why not live while you live? And no doubt next year's crop will be good. Senora and senorita must have Parisian hats for the church parade and beautiful gowns for the opera. Imported dainties for the palate reappear in the store windows after being absent since leaving the city of Mexico. Costa Rica spends so freely that her foreign trade amounts to five times the average per capita of the other Central American countries. 
10 million people of the Costa Rican type in Central America would soon change our attitude of disinterestedness. Then there would be a commercial prize on our borders worth having. The light-hearted Costa Rican is proudest of the beauty of his women and his opera house. What would be the use of the opera house if it were not for the beautiful women, as Don Carlos well said? Some of them are fair-haired and have blue eyes, a distinction worth a dowry to any San Jose girl. They are devoted to religion, and their influence sways fathers, husbands, and sons. Though freedom of worship is guaranteed, Costa Rica recognizes the church by an annual grant, and every Sunday morning the well-uniformed, European-appearing garrison marches to the cathedral, which is the only one I saw in Central America that was in repair. That crowning piece of Costa Rican extravagance, the National Opera House, which cost a million dollars in this town of 20,000 people, is a tribute to their cultivated taste. We had not its equal in New York in architectural pretensions until the new theater was built, and on the American continent it is surpassed only by the national theaters in Mexico, Rio de Janeiro, and Buenos Aires. The marble for its staircase came from Italy. Artists were brought from abroad to paint the scenes of coffee and banana culture which should express the source of Costa Rican wealth, and the love of music is no affectation. It is a serious matter with predilection for the Italian and French classics and for rigid observance of stage conventions and a discriminating exhibition of pleasure or displeasure over the performer's work. San Jose boasts its polo teams, its football 11, and baseball nines. Nothing which belongs to a great world capital seems wanting, at least in miniature. There is a national fondness for beautiful parks and impressive public buildings. Though the Costa Ricans took relatively little interest in the Treaty of Washington, it was considered a national honor to have the Court of Peace sit in the one country which had been peaceful, and when Mr. Carnegie gave the money to build the palace for housing the judges at Cartago, the attitude changed to positive enthusiasm. A national library is building. An enormous penitentiary stands outside the town as an example of architectural pride. Future generations may grow up to it. At present, the guests are as lonely as the scattered few in a summer hotel just before the autumn closing time. The insane asylum, set in a garden of palms and flowers, might be mistaken for the suburban residence of some multimillionaire, but I should not call it an insane asylum. This is against the rules of modern science, as I was reminded by the director, educated in Germany, who showed me through a hospital modern in every respect. Whatever public institution I visited, the impression was the same. The National Museum was not a travesty, the art school had a score of busy pupils, boys and girls, and the high school and the girls' seminary lose little by any foreign comparison. While on the severely practical side, the public abattoir, well-ordered in keeping with what doctors trained abroad had concluded was the best precedent, would not have been thought complete without an ornamental front to soften the thought of the butchery within to passers-by. And that new department store kept by a German. It opens up a world of gossip about bargains and is a drain on many a coffee estate. But no Costa Rican woman, you may be sure, will ever allow any bargain to permit the sale of a rood of the family coffee land. Issue debentures, yes, but sell, never. From generation to generation, the land is held, 
and its value close to San Jose would astound a Western farmer who owns a valuable wheat farm. That coffee plant is capricious. It grows better nowhere in the world than here. After all my ineffectual efforts to find out about exports and imports in the other countries, what a pleasure it was to be referred to a bureau which filled your pockets and arms with statistical information and your mind with confidence that the information was at least approximately correct. The Spanish-American custom of no land tax still prevails. Costa Rica is a country of landowners, large and small, and if one wants to borrow money instead of laying a mortgage, he can issue debentures on his property. Titles are clear and the books open to all to see whatever loan stands against any holding. Taxes are chiefly on imports and by weight, but under a more reasonable scale than elsewhere. But there is a fly in the amber. Proud little Costa Rica, so scrupulous about her national honor, has been defaulting the interest on her national debt for many years. She loved those handsome buildings, and paying for dead horses was most trying. However, be it said to her credit, her citizens were always apologizing for the fact, which represented at least a stage of self-consciousness, and, at last accounts, arrangements were underway to settle with her creditors and begin a new career. End of section 98. This recording is in the public domain. Recording by Amy Zunas.